Music for this podcast is provided by Ben Howington, the Mormon guitarist. Check out his YouTube channel, Mormon Guitar. Making a Missionary, Episode 3. Did you attempt to leave that individual better off and blessed as a result of your conversation? Welcome to Making a Missionary, where I interview future and return missionaries and church educators to help prepare, motivate, and inspire you in your efforts to become a successful servant of the Lord. To teach and preach and work as missionaries do. Hey everybody, thanks for being here. Um, I am really excited to present to you my official third episode. This is a big deal. Since considering the fact that my I've actually recorded two other interviews, well, three, the first one I almost had done a complete episode, almost ready to launch, and then my laptop got stolen, and all of my backed up data was on a hard drive that was also stolen along with it. So that was incredibly frustrating. Um, literally all of my data, all of my audio, uh, my bumper music everything. So essentially I'm having to start from scratch. So I lost that episode. Um, I interviewed my previous, uh, my MTC companion and had some audio complications, actually did it, recorded it twice, had some audio complications both times. I'm destined to get him on the show. And so I probably will be recording um, a third time with him and I hope it'll um, turn out great. But this episode, um, I actually will give an official introduction with him here in a second, but um, it is the, the this guy's name is Kevin Clayson, and he served in Berlin, Germany. And I actually found him from, he was a guest on my favorite podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire, uh, because he's, a, he's an author of a really successful book. And anyway, I'll go into depth about him and, and his, his journey, and it turns out he's a return missionary. So I really, I'm really inspired by him, and I wanted him on the show, and I feel like the interview went great, and I'm hoping that you can gather a lot of great information from him. And uh, without further ado, here's my interview with him. Okay, everybody, I have Kevin Clayson here. He is actually also known as the Chief Officer of Awesome. He grew up in San Francisco Bay Area before serving his mission in Berlin, Germany from 1998 to 2000. Kevin attended and graduated from BYU with a Bachelor's of Political Science and humorously admits he has not used his degree since. A few years after reluctantly accepting his role as a college grad and a quote-unquote grown-up, he went on to start a revolutionary multi-million dollar real estate investment and personal development company called Strongbrook. Ten years later, Kevin stepped down from his role as the company's vice president of marketing in order to have more fun in life and, according to him, do more awesome stuff. Kevin is now an author and a highly requested professional youth and corporate speaker speaking all over North America. His new book, Flip the Gratitude Switch, is already being called one of the most important life success books ever. In addition to having fun and loving golf, Kevin's favorite thing in the world is family time with his gorgeous wife and his three amazing kids. And his favorite family activity are the impromptu family dance parties that seem to break out regularly in the kitchen before school or after dinner. So, Kevin, it's a pleasure to meet with you. I've been looking forward to this since, um, well, for the last little while. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you. So thank you so much for having me. It's just I think your show, what you're doing is awesome. And I'm just super thrilled to be able to talk about one of my favorite subjects ever, which, of course, is my mission, the best oh, yeah. thing I've ever done next to marrying my wife and having kids. <laughs> Got to put those in there. Those are also very important. <laughs> yes, they are. 
So I, I mentioned in the uh, in in the introduction that you served in Berlin, Germany from it was 1998 to 2000, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and I actually, what prompted me to reach out to you to be a guest on the show was a Facebook post that you commented on how um, you had you were. I guess did a split with some missionaries or you had the missionaries over for dinner and you kind of had this epiphany of how old you are. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm getting there. I served from 03 to 05 in, uh-huh. um, in Korea. And, you know, I just, just passed the 11 year mark of returning home. And it kind of feels like, you know, it's an important, huge thing in your life. And, you always relate to that and the farther away it gets, the more, the more old you feel. But so I, I, I kind of feel for you there, but um, my, one of my first questions for you is, is uh, I'd like to know when you became converted to the gospel. Yeah, sure. Well, let me back up real quick and tell you that it wasn't just a post about the missionaries telling me how old I was. What they literally said was they said, we're talking and they asked me when I served. And so I said, 98 to 2000. And one of them paused for a second and was like, oh, 1998, <laughs> that was the year I was born. And I went, what? Like, <laughs> am I that old? I don't go. feel that old. My goodness. is really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, it's just, hey, life <laughs> happens, you know? Right. <laughs> but to answer the real question, um, <laughs> I really became, conver- so I grew up in the church. But I really became converted to the gospel. Well, look, I don't think I can say that there was one single thing that converted me to the gospel. I will share an experience with you. I continue to become converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day. I mean, it really is a process where it's continually turning my heart to the Lord. But I had a really significant experience when I was 14 years old, and uh, which, you know, was... Uh, it, a pretty good age. I guess I'm in good company. I think there was a, a guy named Joe Smith. He had a golden Bible or something. And he had some cool stuff happen at 14 too. But when I was 14, I was attending a uh, BYU education week. And um, a speaker who many are familiar with named John, by the way, um, extended this challenge. And, you know, I'd listened to a bunch of his talks. And of course, I would feel the spirit. I, you know, I'd been baptized for, you know, what, six years. Um, I absolutely felt that the gospel of Jesus Christ was real. But he, he said this thing this one night, and he said, if you have not knelt and asked your Father in heaven, if this church is true, I encourage you to do it. I challenge you to do it. And man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I went, you know, I've never done that. And I just had that feeling like, you know, I should. And the cool thing is I live in Orem now. I actually, the experience I had was in Orem. My sister at the time was living in a little duplex. Um, It actually might've been a fourplex, you know, behind kind of like over in the university mall area for those that are familiar with Utah. Um, It's actually kind of over behind uh, where the Deseret book is. Um, you know, that not the new Deseret book that's at university mall, but across the street to the, to the South, you know, there's another Deseret book and distribution yeah. center there. And, um, it was just bought, there's some duplexes just behind there. And I remember going home or going to, to, that's where I was staying going. And, and I was, uh, sleeping in the room that would soon become my niece's room. And so it was kind of ready for a baby, but they hadn't had the baby yet. And I remember kneeling and praying and just asking, if the church was true, if the gospel was real. And um, I had an indescribable um, feeling wash over me that was so clear and that was so real and that could only be explained by the Holy Ghost. And uh, I knew from that moment that this church just wasn't something that made me feel good and it wasn't just a good idea, but I that this church was absolutely true, that Jesus absolutely is the Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ was real and that has stuck with me and will never, ever leave me. And I think is a huge reason why I chose to go on a mission to share that experience that others could obtain that same witness um, or a similar witness to what I obtained that night as a 14 year old. Sounds pretty serious to me. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's cool. 
it's it's great to to have that um that uh resolve um uh, before your mission for sure yeah it definitely is yeah and it's not to say that i didn't need to still become converted i mean i remember sure. as a missionary you know saying you know i look i i have a testimony of the prophet but is it strong enough you know and then really praying specifically about the prophet joseph smith as a missionary in my first area to to become even more converted to that and knowing that the first vision was real and and you know continuing to grow my testimony of the book of mormon and so on and uh you know so it's yeah i mean i was converted I, I i continue to become a convert in a lot of ways um but that's the cool thing about it is you can always ask and you can always receive a witness yeah do you feel like that's when your conversion started or uh, or did it start you know when you were young and your parents taught you you know this is the gospel and this is what we do and yeah, I mean, I, that's my conversion started when I was younger. You know, I remember being a twelve-year-old and receiving the receiving the Aaronic priesthood, and and just you know standing up to bear my testimony and and really feeling the spirit. It, it, and so my my you know my my conversion process began when I was young. I mean, I remember very distinctly the the clean feeling I had after being baptized as an eight year old on April fourth, you know, in in uh, in nineteen eighty seven. You know, I remember that, and and uh, and so the conversion really did start as a primary kid, but but it was really you know that experience of really asking and praying I think is what sort of solidified the conversion initially, and then there's been you know just so many experiences since that continues to continually turn my heart towards. Um, towards my savior. Thank you. Who is a spiritual giant in your life that you've always looked up to and what trait or traits make them a, a giant to you? You know, it's Gordon B. Hinckley. Um, I, when I was a missionary, he was the prophet. And uh, I just remember going to general conference or well, rather watching it, you know, on TV in a, in a, chapel in germany somewhere you know in the berlin area yeah. and and just um just having such a love for this man and i'll tell you you know what i what i really really appreciated about gord b hinckley is he had this ability to through his example and through his teaching make the gospel a simple part of daily life you know i think there's a lot of times when, um, you know, even as missionaries, as we're preparing to go, it kind of seems like this big thing, right? We're going to do this big thing and go on the mission and, and it's going to, you know, it, we put it way out there. Like we're going to go on a mission. It's this thing that we want to work towards. And what I've come to realize as I, as I've grown older and even as a missionary, that the gospel is a really simple concept. If you approach it on a daily choice by choice basis. And I feel like, I feel like President Hinckley did that in a really remarkable way. You know, the way he would teach the gospel was just so simple. You know, be a little better. I mean, mm -hmm. what a, you know, t today, you know, just be a little bit better today. What a simple, incredible way to grow in spiritual stature and to draw near to the, to the Savior. And and I just, so that for me, just his, his the, you know, the way that he taught the gospel through simple daily application um, is why I think he was a spiritual giant and what became such an example to me of how to become a spiritual giant. Thank you. Let's uh, transition now to, um, to your mission. I'd like to, sh I'd like to have you share your favorite spiritual experience from your mission. Yeah. If you can, if um, you can come up with only one. <laughs> Yeah, right. I I actually had a hard time because I was thinking about this. I was like, which one do I share? And um, I'll, I'll share with you the story of Willie. And, uh, you know, Willie was a large man. And uh, Willie was, a, was an interesting man. Willie was friends with a member in the Berlin area. This guy, uh, the fr Willie's friend, uh, was a member of the ward in Berlin. And his, his name was uh, Brother Hohenstein. And and Willie was Brother Hohenstein's friend. And Willie was really anti-missionaries. And Brother Hohenstein loved us. Like, he loved to have us over. And sometimes Willie would be there. And so we'd met Willie before. And Willie just had absolutely no interest in the gospel whatsoever. No matter 
what conversation we had. He was just borderline anti. And uh, Willie had a, uh, a really severe heart attack. And um, he had to be life-flighted to a hospital in Berlin. And we got a phone call um, one evening from uh, Brother Hohenstein. And he said, Willie's in the hospital. And Willie has asked to receive a blessing. And I remember my companion and I looking at each other like, are you kidding me right now? Like, (laughs) Willie wants a blessing? And there was something about that experience that shook Willie to his core. And I think he knew, maybe he'd always known that there was something uh, to the, you know, these missionaries and this thing that they were teaching and to the light that maybe Brother Hohenstein had in his life. But for Willie to actually ask for a blessing was remarkable. He was in bad shape and, and there was no real clear turnaround um, coming. When we got there, Willie could barely speak and he was shaking just violently shaking. And we, we just briefly said, Willie, we're going to lay our hands on your head and we are going to use the power of the Melchizedek priesthood to attempt to heal you. But you need to know something. It's only going to work if you have faith that this will work. And, you know, we could tell that he kind of acknowledged that. He looked really, really bad. I did the anointing. My companion did the blessing. And uh, man, Jacob, as we as we laid our hands on his head and gave him a blessing, he stopped shaking. And the violent shaking did not return. He had a really incredible, really miraculous turnaround and was moved out of the intensive care unit within about 24 hours. They thought he was going to be there for quite some time. And, uh, you know, we went back and visited Willie and he said, okay, I get it. I know that this is real. I've never felt anything like what I felt when you laid your hands on my head. I know the priesthood must be real and I know that you must carry it. And, uh, you know, I got, um, I got transfer. I actually went home from my mission not too long thereafter. And, uh, I, I Willie ended up passing away you know, before he was able to get baptized. Um, But that experience um, really created a change for him. And it created a change for us. And I like to think that we were instrumental in preparing the work that would be done for him when he was on the other side, that it would be easy for him to accept because he'd been through what he went through. And to me, it was just such a remarkable example that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't end at this life, that that there's work that gets to be done on the other side of the veil, that that's why there's spirit prison. And and that's why there's that this work that we do um, truly transcends, you know, what happens uh, in Helaman, you know, when Nephi is given the sealing power, you know, um, he's blessed with the ability to seal that on earth, which will be also sealed in heaven. And I think as a missionary, for me, that was such a stark example of that, 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 that what we do as missionaries transcends earthly bounds. And uh, it was just a really uplifting and truly incredible experience and one that I'll just, you know, never, ever forget. And uh, neither will he, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Do you still keep in touch with people you met in the field? Yeah, I totally do. In fact, I started uh, I, I started a company with two of my mission buddies. So we were in the same area just outside of Berlin, and we ended up starting a company together. And so I see them every day, <laughs> pretty much, which is awesome. <laughs> and, and so there's them. And then I, there's other missionaries that I'm still in touch with. Facebook makes it super yeah. duper easy you know, to stay in touch. Um, but in fact, I just got reconnected with a sister who found out about our company, came and started to work a little bit with our company, didn't realize that I was also involved in the company along with my two partners. And now I'm going and, uh, and speaking for her, um, young single adult group, um, in November. Cause I wrote a book on gratitude. They wanted to bring in a speaker to really talk about gratitude. And so, you know, there's continual networking that gets to happen in these friendships, continue. And one of my very best friends in the whole, actually my two, uh, two of my three very best friends in this whole world are, are people I serve my mission with. And one of them is my business partner who I get to see literally every day. And we continue 
to talk about our mission and we continue to share spiritual experiences and, and help each other grow in our testimonies. And, you know, we've been friends now for like almost 20 years. Like how awesome is that? All because of the mission. That's cool. Do you still speak German? That's awesome. Well, do you, I'm sure you know how, do you still have, do you have the opportunity to, to, to use it? To, to use what the language or what? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I've gone back to Germany, gosh, I think three times, um, since I got home from my mission. And so I've used it there. And then, uh, you know, there's been other times when, you know, we've been at Disneyland and I hear some Germans speaking and I'll, I'll talk to them, you know, or, um, you know, living in, in Utah in 2002, the Olympics were here and I was working at a sporting good retailer. And so we would have Germans come in and then I would get to help them like find what they needed. You know, it was awesome. And so, uh, I don't get to use it as much as I would like, but now I'll download like books that I love um, in German on audible and still listen to them, which is just super cool. And I also watch Netflix and some, uh, some of the Netflix, um, programs have like a German soundtrack and so I can listen to it. And so, yeah, I still love the language, super passionate about it. Um, and, and use it when, whenever I can, and I'll speak it with my, um, you know, old mission buddies who I work with. Like sometimes we'll just, just go into German, especially if we don't want anybody else to know what we're saying. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. It's awesome. What is your favorite scripture? You know, I have two. Can I share two? I'll let it fly this once. (laughs) So one of them that, so it's because there was, there's a scripture that was my favorite scripture as a missionary and still is a favorite scripture. And then another scripture that later has become so important to me because of what I feel like I'm supposed to spend my life doing And so the first scripture that just carried me through my mission and really carries me through continually is Alma 37, 37, um, counsel with the Lord in all thy doings and he'll direct thee for good. Uh, and I just, I love, it goes on and it says, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord. Meaning for me, that's just, you don't ever go to bed without thanking your heavenly father for a successful day. Even if you don't feel it was successful, you survived it. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And and then he says that he may watch over you in, the, in your sleep. And the scripture goes on and says, and when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if you do these things, you should be lifted up at the last day. And can I tell you, I wake up every morning and this is a practice I actually talk about because now I spend my life talking about gratitude because I wrote a book called Flip the Gratitude Switch. And one of the things that I share is when I wake up, the first thing I do is one foot goes out of bed. And as that foot hits the floor, I say, thank. And then as the second foot hits the floor, I say, you. And I'm saying that to my Heavenly Father because I'm awake and I can breathe. And by starting my day with gratitude, it changes the trajectory of that day. And I love that this, this scripture indicates what a difference that could be, is it? If you'll rise in the morning, you know, it doesn't say when you get up and after you get breakfast and after you take your shower and after you shave, you know, go ahead and be thankful. Risest, it says thou risest in the morning, right? To me, that feels like right away. Let your heart be full of thanks unto God. And that has been a game changer for me. And uh, in every way, especially counsel with the Lord in all of thy doing. So it's not just like, hey, when you're in trouble, like counsel mm-hmm. with the Lord, right? And and it's not like, hey, when things are going like super good, you know, counsel with the Lord. It's in all of thy doings. And that's so key as a missionary that you turn to your father in heaven. The second scripture is in Doctrine and Covenants, and it's about gratitude. And it says, it's in uh, Doctrine and Covenants seventy eight nineteen, And it says, and he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious. And then it goes on and says, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even an hundredfold, yea, more. And so this is one that's transcended, you know, my mission and really become super important to me in my professional life. Um, because again, gratitude is, is central uh, to that. And uh, anyway, those, so those are probably my two favorite scriptures. I mean, I've got plenty of others, but those are ones that I think those on are great often. ones. Thank you. <laughs> What is the, uh, what, what's the weirdest culturally different thing you ate or did on your mission? Oh man. So we had this one guy that we would go over and visit and he had a really, 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 really bad stutter. And he also had dentures 
And so when he would get in the middle of a stutter, his dentures would like fly out of his mouth and he'd have to suck them back in, right? It was like a bad 3D movie. It was like they're coming at you. And, and, um, but he was this awesome guy. He had, this was crazy. He had no interest in learning the gospel. However, check, this was so cool. We would go over and read the Book of Mormon with him. He loved the Book of Mormon. He didn't want, he, at the time, that's when we had discussions. We didn't have preach my gospel, which I wish we would have, but he, he, when he would read the Book of Mormon, wouldn't you believe his stutter would be gone? Is the only time that his stutter would be go away is when he would read the Book of Mormon out mm. loud. And, and we just thought, you know, gosh, you know, his name was Herr or Mr. Mueller. If, if Mr., you know, Herr Mueller, if you would just realize why that, you know, we figured that that was a gift of the Spirit that was, that was, assisting him but he would always bring us over and he would give us a little something to eat and germans love their little kind of knickknacks their big meal is uh is lunch and sometimes we'd go go over like around dinner time and and so for dinner they don't have like a big dinner like we do as americans uh they, they have this thing called avenbrot and it, uh, you know it's evening bread and and it's just kind of like you know little you know, you put a little spread on a little roll, you know, a little butter, a little spread, you know, you maybe drink a little juice. And so they have these spreads like liverwurst and stuff like that, right? And he would always bring out these spreads that he was like super, you know, old school East German, you know, and he, so they loved their spreads. He'd bring these out and, they, and half the time, like most of the time, they were super <laughs> disgusting. Well, this one time, and we would just eat them and we'd have to say, oh, so good, thank you. You know, this one time, he brought out this spread and I bit into it and it was, it was significantly more disgusting than the liverwurst was. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what is this? And I couldn't, I couldn't like, I had to choke it down and I couldn't just be like, Hey, Herr Mueller, thank you so much for this terrible, terrible meal. What is this disgusting terribleness that you are force feeding us? You could have said that. So I, instead um, look, I don't advocate being dishonest as a missionary, but I had no, I didn't know how to get around it. So I said, wow, this is really, you know, interesting. Or I might've even said, this is really good. Um, what is this? Cause I just wanted to know what the heck I was eating. And, and he told me, and let me, let me just tell you what this was. So this wasn't just liverwurst, which, you know, is you make a paste out of liver and you spread it on breads. This was tongue worst. And, and, he, he said, oh, yeah, they take, like, some cow tongue and some pig tongue. And, and basically, they take, like, animal tongue, and they grind it up and then spread it on bread. And, and that was – it was – when he told me what it was, I mean, it was really hard to choke down the vomit. I mean, I was like, I am eating animal tongue on bread. There's nothing that is correct or right about this right now. It was terrible. I, like, I didn't even know. Like, what do you do? You're eating tongue on bread. Like, really? Come on. So I, I think I drank like five glasses of juice to try to just wash it down and Ooh, swallow it. this juice it. is great. It's Can so... I have more, please? Interesting juice. <laughs> oh, wow. man. Yeah, it was, it was bad. But I got to share this one other thing with you because I didn't eat it, but I only got to live one uh, I, I was only in germany for one christmas i was in the mtc for one christmas in germany for one christmas and we got invited over to a member's house and she made us like a really good like traditional you know kind of german christmas meal but her dad again old school german he was eating this this thing and and i, I like he had boiled it and then he put it on his plate and i can't even remember what it was called but i looked at it and i was like <clears throat> um that looks like and i'm not even kidding about this that looks like the head of a pig, like the head, like the head of a pig on a plate. And he was just digging in. He, that's what he was eating. He was eating a skinless head of a pig. And apparently they kind of do that in Germany, old school. And it was um, the whole time I was sitting there looking at it like, is this happening right now? Like, this is a Christmas meal. Like, I get ham, but this is taking it to a whole nother level. Like, you're eating the head of a pig. Like, I could see where its eye sockets were. Like, it was, and the snout. Like, I just couldn't believe it. It was <sighs> unreal. Oh, I'm sure that over the years, in my mind, it's probably turned into some sort of, like, grotesque mutation of a pig head. It was probably much more subdued in real life. But, you know, your mind kind of does that. But it was a pig head. Just chowing on a pig a head for Christmas. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Big heads oh, for man. Christmas. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so I my next question I, I I would let as a pass if you wanted to use that as your answer, but it, it is what is the biggest shock about serving a mission? In general, as a missionary, yeah. wow, you I know, wish I wish I would have known this. Um Yeah. You know, shock about Germany or or whatever. Totally. Yeah, it, believe it or not, it wasn't the pig head or the tongue worst. It was, uh, it was, you know, okay, you have to understand, I took German in high school. I took a little bit in college. So going into the MTC, I'm feeling pretty confident, right? I'm like, oh, man, I've got like two or three years under my belt. This is going to be a piece of cake, going to learn the language. I already know some stuff. So I go into the MTC, and I start to learn German. And I, I remember going like, is this the same German? Because this... <laughs> Seems a lot harder, and and so it was tough, you know. And then you, at the end of the MTC, for anybody who's who's gone, you know, who's served overseas or, or or even served in the states and learned a different language, you know, you can feel relatively confident by the time you're leaving the MTC. Like you're feeling pretty good. Like you're looking at the new missionaries coming in, learning your language. Like, boy, <laughs> have you got a lot to learn? You know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. So I felt pretty good about myself. And then I I got to the country. And, and the first night I was in my area, we did this thing uh, that maybe some missionaries have heard of called um, tracting. And we got to knock doors. And I remember watching my companion knock a couple doors and he was having these conversations. And I was like, are they speaking German? Like, I don't, is this the same language I learned at the MTC and that I thought I learned in high school? Because it sounds like a whole different thing. And I was like, dude, I, I mean, it was hard. And so then we get to the third door. He let me listen to two. We get to the third door. He's like, all right, Elder Clayson, you're up. And I'm like, you mean like <laughs> now? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what to say as I'm saying that he's knocking on the door. The door opens. I fumble through something that probably sounded like Swahili. And the lady looked at me crazy and she's like, <laughs> I'm not interested and closes the door. And I just remember going, wait a second. I thought that I was learning the same language they were speaking here, but it was not. Because check this out. I'm going to give you an example, okay? So in German, people are supposed to speak what you learn as you learn this thing called High German or Hochdeutsch, right? And and so it's it's like the... You know, the the language that everybody, that all the books are written in Hochdeutsch and, you know, that's what you learn. Well, that doesn't mean that the dialect won't be different when you get there. And because I was outside of Berlin, you know, the, they had this Berliner dialect that was totally different. And I'll give you an example. So um, uh, if I wanted to say um, I don't know that, right? I don't know that in German, Hochdeutsch, or the high German would be Das weiß ich nicht. Okay. Das weiß ich nicht. Okay. In Berliner dialect, this is what it sounds like. Oh, sorry, I just messed it up. Um, okay. So, das weiß ich nicht versus <laughs> uh, like, um, what? Say what? I mean, because, huh? Yeah. And so, for me, it was just like, dude, I, this is, and so that was the shock. Is like, I was super pumped, feeling confident, going into the MTC, Confidence got like knocked right out of me. Feeling confident going into the field, get into the field. Confidence mm. is knocked way out of me, and it probably took me till my last area to feel really, really comfortable with the language. And so I just want to share that with everybody because let me tell you, if you don't feel comfortable with the language, it doesn't mean that the Lord won't bless you and give you the ability to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in your terrible attempt of speaking the language. Some of you are going to be really good at it. Some of you may not be that great, but you'll still be able to do it. And so the last four months of my mission, I was with a native speaking companion and I felt like I was just that. I felt like I finally achieved some fluency, um, but still had a great mission with lots of success. Even in my first area, when I couldn't understand what the heck was going on. You have to be able to see success, even though you're not actually seeing success right away. Yeah. And by the way, that is hugely important. And, and let me tell you how I've come to realize success should be measured for missionaries. It is not in baptisms. It is not in lessons taught. It is, it is in this. This is, I, I feel like this is really how you can measure success as a missionary. In every interaction that you had, Throughout your mission, throughout your day, 
did you attempt to leave that individual better off and blessed as a result of your conversation? And if you can say yes, you succeeded. You know, even even if it's a little thing like giving somebody a smile, helping someone smile that maybe wouldn't have had you not come by and tripped or something, right? I mean, it's like, I, I think that the, that the work of the gospel, men are that they might have joy. And I feel like that's our goal, right? If we can leave people better off through every interaction, if they can feel our love and concern, that is how you can measure success as a missionary. And I would say the second, the, the, the second thing that goes with that is here's another way you can measure success. Did you go to work today? You know, did, did you go to work? Not just did you do everything possible to not have to work? So did you mistake, you know, movement for achievement? Or did you go to work? Did you try to bless someone today in, in whatever small way that could be? And if you did, then, you know, I think that's, that's a massive success. Thank you very much. Yeah. What cultural things from your mission, if any, will you keep in your life or do you keep in your life? Yeah, there, there's, uh, there's a couple of them. Like Germans don't shower. <laughs> I never do either. It's awesome. <laughs> I don't know what deodorant is. And so I don't use it either. No, I, uh, there, there's a couple things actually. Like um, one of them is around Christmas time. They have awesome Christmas traditions. And one of them they do is called St. Nicholas Day. And so on December 6th, the kids leave their shoes outside and St. Nick comes by and puts candy in the shoes. And then they wake up in the morning and there's candy cool. in the shoes that were outside the door. And so we do that because mm-hmm. that's kind of fun, you know. And I tell, and I, and I tell my kids, um, I say, well, some of your friends at school, you know, Santa Claus doesn't come put candy in their shoes because they don't know about St. Nicholas Day. And because they don't know about it because their mommy or daddy didn't live in Germany, then, you know, they don't know to put their shoes out. If they put their shoes out, you know, Santa Claus would probably come by and give candy, but they don't know. You know, and so I just kind of will say that to them because they wonder, like, why their other friends don't talk about it. And so that's one um, that I that uh, that I really like. And uh, let me think if there's anything else that I do consistently um, oh, you know what? Here's another one. Uh, so in Germany before the meal, so what they do is everybody like dishes up the food and then they pray and then you eat. Well, I grew up in a household where it was like every, all the food was on the table. You pray and then everybody like passes it around mm-hmm. and dishes up. Right. So I just started to do this with my kids and my family. So we dish up, everybody has their plate and then we pray and then we eat. And that was, that's just something that, I don't know, I just kind of like, because then everybody starts right. the meal together. And, and I like that as opposed to, you know, some, like, grandpa's putting mashed potatoes on and he's already, like, you know, wolfing down some gravy and, you know, mom's over here just barely getting some sweet potatoes and dad's already, like, threw his second cut of turkey, you know, and, and, and you know, the kid at the end of the table's like, I want food. <laughs> you know, it's like, I like the idea of everybody kind of right. starting together and having that meal that's together. Cool. So that's been cool. I like that. I didn't know Santa Claus had two really busy nights of the year. I thought it was just one. Yeah, he's, you yeah. know, it's a lot of work. You know, it's tough to right. be Santa Claus, I'll tell you what. And so what was your biggest struggle as a missionary? You know, my biggest struggle was fear of rejection. Um, I uh, I was really afraid of, of hearing the word no. And I, because I was so afraid of it, I heard it a ton. You know, because again, I didn't understand how to measure success as a missionary. I thought that success was discussions taught and baptisms racked up. And that, that you know, it's, it's not. And so that was really hard for me as I was so afraid of getting rejected that it would sometimes cripple my ability to do what was required, which was to just share a message of joy and hope. That's it. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to get over the struggles, but once you do, I think that's when you can really realize, yeah. notice that realize that success that we were talking about. So, what true. was your biggest weakness as a missionary? You know, I think my biggest weakness was not doing what uh, I, I described that you should do, which is just go to work, because I know because I would do things where it was like. 
I was so afraid of getting rejected and so and we we had to track our whole mission. We got I got zero, not a single referral my entire mission. So everybody that we taught, we had to go find, right? And that was hard. And so um because it was tough, it was and it, because it was so many hours, I mean we'd be out knocking doors literally from the start of the day to the end of the day and that could be really exhausting and really tough and that's a lot of rejection. And so I would I would find ways to fill time with non-productive activities. Um, you know, like take an extra long time at the store. Just, you know, we should be out tracking, but I'm like, oh, you know, I really am thirsty. Yeah. Let's take 20 minutes and go over here to the store, you know, to, to grab, uh, you know, something, a soda or something. And, and so I wish that I would have known then what I know now. Um, my, my work ethic would have been, I still worked really hard as a missionary, but I could have worked harder. Okay. Yeah, it's um I mentioned it before on previous episodes, but President Hinckley was um when he was on his mission in England, he he wanted to go home. And he wrote right. a letter to his dad and says, "Dad, I can't do this." And his dad simply sent a response back that says, "Forget yourself and go to work." It's all about That's my all favorite about, quote um, about missionary work. It's all about working and serving the people that you love. It's true. Can I tell you that quote um, is such a game changer for me and just in my perspective of things now. And when my nephew, who's serving in uh, the Raleigh, North Carolina mission right now, when he asked me for advice um, before he went on his mission, I gave him two pieces of advice. I said, love everyone unconditionally, especially your hard companions. Love them. Serve your tough companions are the ones who you need to serve the most. So you can grow love for them so that your companionship can improve. And then secondly, just forget yourself and go to work. That's what I shared that line with them because that was such a aha for me when, uh, when President Hinckley shared that experience. Yeah, I love that one. So what is your biggest strength that helped you as a missionary? You know, um, I, I, I had the ability to tap into the spirit and testify strongly through the spirit. You know, my, uh, my trainer, um, told me that it was like a light switch. He, he felt like in an instant I could immediately flip that switch and channel the spirit and testify strongly, not just say the words, but testify with and through the spirit. And, uh, I used that often. I realized that that was a strength and a gift that I'd been given. And I used it to testify, testifying, was my 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 greatest strength and my greatest tool as a missionary because I'm not a scriptorian, you know. I didn't know the scriptures inside and out. Um, you know, I I, uh, I remember this experience if I can share it, um, where you know we we were on a street corner and you know um, had an interaction with the Jehovah's Witness, and uh, you know they were just trying to just beat us up, and uh, you know. I, I made a decision, and I, I'd recommend that everybody make this decision before your mission. I made a decision that I would not Bible bash um, on my mission, that, that I would never approach an interaction with any spirit of contention. Like, no, 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 your scripture is wrong. Let me give you the right one. I didn't want to do that. And, uh, and this Jehovah's Witness was really just beating up on us. And, and I just uh, I, I said to my companion in English, I said... Elder, you know, just kind of quietly as she's like, you know, just hammering us. I said, Elder, let's testify and leave. And uh, and so, you know, she's just going off. And I said, excuse me, can I just share one thing? And I just bore my testimony and was able to channel the spirit. And she quieted down and went on her way. There was no more contention. She didn't want to fight us anymore. And I feel like that was something that I used on a regular basis, both to to get people to know the gospel, but also to um, avoid what could have been maybe uncomfortable situations, but really just being able to flip that switch and, and channel um, and testify strongly with the Spirit was was just a huge blessing. So now I want to get to my favorite part of the interview, and that is the motivation round. The motivation round is sponsored by MyOilVault.com. Now there's a more convenient way to carry oil for blessings. At the size of a credit card and nearly indestructible, their convenient oil packets are perfect for your wallet, phone case, or purse. Visit makingamissionary.org oil and get yours today. 
So the first question of the motivation round is, was, was there a specific moment that made you want to serve a mission? You know, not exactly, but I will say this. I remember being a primary kid singing, I hope they call me on a mission. And I remember really, really hoping they would. So I think all the way, if there was a moment, it was that one day as probably like an eight-year-old kid singing, I hope they call me on a mission and just feeling like, do it yes, really seriously. please do that. <laughs> That's cool. What is the best <laughs> spiritual advice you have to give to future missionaries? There are three things. The first is to be thankful for the frustration. Um, you will be frustrated. It will get difficult. There's a there's a quote that I love from Dieter F. Uchtdorf that says, it's easy to be grateful for things when life seems to be going our way. But what then of those times when what we wish for seems to be far out of reach? He goes on and he says, and I love this. Could I suggest that we see gratitude as a disposition, a way of life that stands independent of our current situation? In other words, I'm suggesting that instead of being thankful for things, we focus on being thankful in our circumstances, whatever they may be. So that is huge. And then the other pieces of advice would, would be the two things that I told my nephew, which is number one, um, love unconditionally, especially those companions that are difficult and those, those investigators that are, that are frustrating. And then we already talked about it. The other is get to work. Um, there's a quote by Dieter Fuchdorf that I love, again, that says, work is an antidote for anxiety, an ointment for sorrow, and a doorway to possibility. So if you're feeling bad, I love work. Dorf. It'll work itself out. He's amazing. He was called. He was called. He and Bednar were called when I was on my mission. So I remember it being like oh, cool. you know you're missionary. You're close to the your ears close to the ground, feeling the pulse of the church, and you lose two apostles, and that's a big thing. But yep. when they were called, man, I remember how impressed I was with them from that's the beginning. Tough. They're amazing. Yeah. You, you, you want to know what's cool? Can I share a little story with you real quick? So um, I used to work at Dick's Sporting Goods in Salt Lake City. And uh, uh, this one day, um, this really nice lady came in and I was helping her find some walking shoes. And her husband came up and he was also this really nice, great guy. And somehow we'd established that we were from the same area in California, like the San Leandro area. And then he went on to tell me, he was the president of BYU-Idaho. And I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. And I remember them walking away going, man, they, he was, there was just something about him that he was just a really, I don't know, they were just such the, this neat couple. And I remember just being so impressed with him. A couple weeks later, really? he got called as an apostle and his name <laughs> wow. was David A. Bednar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I sold his wife shoes. I know that guy. I know him. <laughs> cool. It, well, and he grew up in San Leandro, which is the, the town that mm -hmm. I grew up in in California. So Which you had to so cool. feel that spiritual connection and as well as where you grew up. You could you just know. tell there was there was something really special about that man. It, so in your great. opinion, what is the most important trait that contributes to a successful missionary? And you did go over that before, but uh, if you would like to reiterate that, that would be that would be great. Yeah, I mean I would just say it's it's to love. You know, it's 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 to just Love. I mean, to. I mean, man. I, if if that's all you did, if that's all you did, is to just love no matter what, um, everything else will work out. That and like we talked about, just go to work. But that that I think is just so key. I had a really, 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 really tough experience with a with a. Um, he wasn't my companion, but he was in the apartment. So difficult. In fact, he was so angry and such a kind of a hateful guy that he was trying to like torture me and we almost got into a fight and I got so bad that I could not feel the spirit. And, uh, I literally, like I would try to pray and I couldn't feel the spirit. And then the answer was delivered of what I needed to do, which is to just serve him and to love him unconditionally. And that relationship turned so quickly and we became really, really good friends and I wish that I would have just, if that would have been my prevailing thought was to just love, um, I think it would have been uh, would have been a lot easier and a lot of times on my mission. Please share a resource that was most effective in your preparation for your mission. You know, um, can I share one with you that I wish I would have, I would have read? Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I think I could have been better prepared, but the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, it's not a gospel book. I mean, it's, it's written by Dale Garn- Carnegie years ago, but talk about a, a Christ-like approach to how to interact with people. Um, I wish that I would have read that. The other big book I wish I would have read um, was is my book. I wish I would have known how to flip the gratitude <laughs> switch because that would have really helped me a ton. But if someone else would have just written it first, you would have had more, so much more. <laughs> but those, I, I would recommend that, you know, even if you're not a reader, get it on audio and, and listen to How to Win Friends and Influence People. It will help you as a missionary. It's a great um, book. It's, yeah, phenomenal. And your book is on my list too. Good. I hope, I hope when you read it, I hope you'll love it. And let me know what you think. I will. Um, well, that's, that's all that I have um, as far as the questions for you. I I, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate you, um, being willing to take the time and, and, uh, talk with me and, and share some insight that I, I hope is going to be very effective in, uh, helping future missionaries get ready to serve. Uh, well, thank you, Jacob. And, and if you are a future missionary listening to this, let me share one final thing with you. Every single good thing in my life, I can trace directly back to the choice to serve a mission and then go in and actually serving. Um, I wouldn't have my wife were it not for my mission. I had a companion that introduced me to her, which means I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't live in Utah if it wasn't for my mission and my buddies who said, hey, come, you know, or start this company with us. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be in Utah if it wasn't for hearing a talk um, in general conference as a missionary in the spirit saying, Kevin, when you get home from your mission, you're going to Utah. Like I, I, you're gonna go to BYU. I had no intention of doing that. So where I live, what I do, my family, Every single good thing in my life, I can directly trace back to the choice to serve a mission and to having served faithfully and honorably. And so I just leave that with everybody listening because um, you won't regret that choice. If you go to work and you'll just love while you're out there, you will be so unbelievably blessed for the rest of your life, not just while you're there. It can set you up to change the trajectory of your entire life, making that choice to go and serve faithfully. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kevin, and I will see you next time. Is there anything you want to hear about? Is there someone special you'd like to have featured on the show? Visit my website at makingamissionary.org and go to the Contact Me page. I'm also available on Facebook at Making a Missionary and The Real Me on Twitter at Jake Hiram Nelson. Thanks for listening. Young. I'm pleased to announce it effective immediately. All <coughs> worthy, an able young man who graduated from high school or his equivalent, regardless of where they live, will have the option of being recommended for missionary service beginning at the age of 18 instead of age 19. We've also given consideration to the age at which a young woman might serve. Today, I'm pleased to announce that able, worthy young women who have the desire to serve may be recommended for missionary service beginning at age 19 instead of age 21.